Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. All right, welcome back to Inside Sources. In for Boyd Matheson today, Marty Carpenter. And, hey, gal, there are a lot of... uh, a lot of legal cases, a lot of things kind of going on in the courts and with police departments that uh, are top of mind right now as we head into the weekend. They're dominating the news cycle. And we want to bring in uh, Greg Scordis, who has on occasion sat in this studio with me and co-hosted the show. And so we're going to have, I, I, you know, I think a pretty good discussion. But, boy, there's there's a lot going on right now on, on the legal front specifically. we got the Five Memphis cops uh, or former cops, they've been fired, who have been charged with the death of a black motorist. Uh, We have the DOJ has arrested three men in connection with a plot to assassinate a U.S. Iranian journalist. And we've got the body cam video capturing the attack on Paul Pelosi, which has been released. And so let's bring in Greg Scordis, KSL's legal analyst and, as I mentioned, part-time co-host of uh, shows like this, and sometimes with with me as well. Greg, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Absolutely, it's nice to be with you again, Marty. All right, give us some background on this Memphis case. As I understand it, the uh, charges have been filed. We've got second degree murder charges, uh, but as well as some other charges. So I guess I would start with that particular case. Maybe give us a little background on it, and then uh, tell us why second degree instead of first degree murder, and why that's important. Yeah, so that's a great question, Marty. So these five officers uh, detained uh, Tyree Nichols on January 7th for allegedly recklessly driving. During the course of their stop with him, they got into a confrontation that became quite physical. It became, became quite brutal. And he ultimately ended up in critical condition at a local hospital. He died three days later on January 10th. So they're each charged, and these are five Uh, uh, ex-Memphis City police officers with second-degree murder. And the reason, Marty, that it's second-degree as opposed to first is because under under Tennessee law, which is fairly similar to Utah law, uh, second-degree doesn't require that you actually intended to cause the murder, but that you engaged in conduct that was so outrageous that it ultimately caused the death. So they don't have to prove that the officers intended to kill him, they only have to prove that their their conduct was so violent and so abhorrent, I guess, that they should have known, that a reasonable person should have known uh, that it was likely to cause death. And then, of course, as you indicated, they're charged also with aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping for detaining him, official misconduct, and what's called official oppression. We don't have a crime like that in Utah, but I'm assuming from what I've read that that involves the officers sort of covering up their their conduct here. Well, I just want to clarify one thing. When you talk about the intention to commit homicide, the intention to, to murder the individual, um, does that is that only in the premeditated sense, or like as they were doing the act, they they didn't you know that they would have to sort of say we didn't intend to kill him, we were just hitting him, or so. I I, I just wonder does no, that no, does no, it have to be premeditated intention? That that's a great question. And back in the day. Uh, we in Utah had a, a, the law that required me premeditation and deliberation. 
Those those words don't exist anymore in, in virtually any state. And a person can form the intent to commit a murder almost instantaneously. So even if it's sort of the heat of passion or somebody who's angry and acting out against another person, once they intentionally commit an act like pulling a trigger or or stabbing someone or doing something where their their desire at that moment was to cause the individual's death, that's enough to form the intent for what we call first-degree murder, which would have been the case in Tennessee and Utah. But these officers, they just allegedly just beat him so badly, not intending to kill him. Who knows what their intent was, but it ultimately did kill him, and that's how they arrived at this second-degree murder. So video of the traffic stop will be released at some point tonight. Is there anything that you are watching for when you see that, that that would give you some indication of, you know, why certain charges were filed or that will give you any indication of, of how this case will play out? A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, obviously, people are going to be looking at the, the the victim's conduct, whether or not he had a weapon or something that resembled a weapon, whether or not he posed a threat to these officers. They were five on one. So it would have had to be something pretty outrageous on his part to justify five officers to do what they're alleged to have done here. Um, I'm, I'm sure he was resistant. I'm sure he was difficult. I'm sure that those kind of things are going to play out. But it's just listening to the chief of police and the director of public safety for the state of Tennessee's remarks about the video, they're pretty outraged by it. And I don't think the video is going to be doing these officers any favors at all once people look at it and see what happened. I think it's three minutes that's just going to be very uh, difficult to watch. Uh, in another case, the DOJ arrested three men for plotting to assassinate a U.S. Iranian journalist. Can you give us an overview of that case and, and what you're looking at there? Yeah, so these three uh, foreign uh, foreigners, they're all from Eastern European nations, are charged with murder for hire. And interestingly in that, Marty, it seems that the hire, or at least the, 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 the help that they were getting, may have been from the government of Iran. So these three are involved in a sort of an Eastern European organization, almost like a, a organized crime organization, um, they uh, they were plotting to kill a U.S. citizen who has been very uh, uh, critical of the government of Iran, speaking out against its treatment of women, uh, human rights violations, suppression of democracy, uh, use of arbitrary imprisonment, uh, torture, and he's been very vocal. And these three uh, these three men were uh, allegedly hired, or at least had some money interest in in uh, killing him. So they're charged with murder for hire, conspiracy to commit murder for hire, and money laundering, because apparently there was some money exchanged for them to engage in this conduct. I mean, it's, 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 
it's the stuff of movies, you know. This is this is pretty egregious conduct. Yeah, so that's one where you know, as as the as we look at that sort of as American citizens, we watch that and say, well, this one's okay because we know who the bad guys are in this particular case. What what happens next in a case like that? They've been arrested, they've been charged, but what's the next step that we'll see there? Yeah, so they're all they're all located in different countries, and so they're going to go through what's called the extradition process. They they they've apparently been detained, and it depends on the cooperation of the country that's detaining them. But it looks like they're all going to end up here in the United States eventually. And uh, the the uh, warrant for arrest was issued out of New York, so they're going to fi- be pursued there in the federal court for the District of New York. Uh, they'll be brought here. Uh, they, they will set that their cases for trial. I would assume that there would be a, a detention hearing where they're probably going to be asked to be held in custody because it's going to be difficult to bring them back if they leave the country. They'll probably set either a high bail or just no bail, and they'll just be held until they can answer to the charges and probably be one of those two- or three-week trials that's just gut-wrenching. Yeah, it would seem like kind of a flight risk <laughs> in this situation, especially right. if you had to bring exactly. it in, in an extradition process. Hey, uh, Greg, we've got about a minute left. I wonder if you could touch on the uh, Paul Pelosi attack video that was released today. Uh, I guess the question, uh, why release the video or how will that impact the defendant's case? So as a former prosecutor, uh, Marty, I used to just hate it when the media would release videos because it tends to taint the jury pool. And it tends to taint the people who are ultimately going to decide the case. You don't want them to see the case on, on network news. You want them to be able to hear the evidence at trial. So I think that's a problem. But also the people have a right to know. And the government has filed these charts or is pursuing this case. They have evidence. And so the people have a right to see what the government's evidence is. So, I mean, it's a two edged sword, the people's right to know versus an individual's right to have a free uh, public trial without any any outside influences. Um, and I think that the Department of Justice is going to sort of, sort of dance around that a little bit and, and, and try to balance that as much as they can. All right. Greg Scordis is KSL's legal analyst. We appreciate your insight on this, Greg, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time we get to host one of these shows together. You bet. All right. Uh, more to come on Inside Sources after this. In fact, we're going to talk about Uh, Oh, the whole idea of recruiting businesses to the state and how we go about that when the rest of the country is kind of looking at an economic slowdown. Uh, Back with that after this. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.